Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 1901, the riverside town of Elizabeth City was a hidden oasis in North Carolina. It was over 300 miles from Charlotte and a world away from anything close to city life. Things moved slower there. Fishermen wove their boats down the Pasquotank River and called out to familiar faces on the shore. Only around 6,000 people lived in Elizabeth City, and everyone knew everyone. That was its charm. Maybe that was why Nell Cropsey and her family had moved there a few years prior. It was so different from Brooklyn. It was greener, more spread out. A person could really put down roots in that type of town. And the Cropsies quickly found that small-town life fit them perfectly. The family settled into a large, stately house near the Pasquatank. Nell and her older sister Olive whiled away the evenings on the front porch, sometimes venturing into the town center. Maybe they even walked down to the riverbank on hotter nights, slipping off their shoes to wade in the water. It was easy to get comfortable with life at this slow pace, to forget about the darker parts of life, its many dangers. And by 1901, the Cropsies had no reason to worry about any of those things. Or so they thought. That year, tragedy was about to rip through the Cropsy home like a hatchet. But that wouldn't be the end. Soon, the shockwaves of this event would engulf the entire community, turning neighbor against neighbor. And just like that, the idyllic fantasy of Elizabeth City would be swept away in the tide. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives close the case. You can find episodes of Solve Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is our first episode on the murder of Nell Cropsey. This week, we'll cover Nell's disappearance and the many rumors that surrounded this event. Next week, we'll cover the case's mysterious conclusion and how the memory of Nell Cropsey haunts Elizabeth City to this day. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. By 1901, the Cropsey family had lived in the small riverside town of Elizabeth City for a little over three years. And in that time, they had seamlessly joined the close-knit community that lived there. Mr. Cropsey found a job as a truck farmer and moved his wife and nine children into a large house they called Seven Pines. 19-year-old Nell Cropsey had even met someone, a short, serious man named Jim Wilcox, who was 25. He had lived in Elizabeth City his whole life and worked in the local shipyard like countless other men. But their partnership wasn't exactly this stuff of fairy tales. Nell was a vivacious, well-liked woman in Elizabeth City, and Jim, well, he was tolerated. The Cropsies weren't sure what to make of Nell's stoic suitor. Even they could tell that this was a bit of a strange pairing. It's just not a good match. He's so boring. He never wants to talk to any of us, and he hardly talks to Nell. Oh, Olive, you're being too critical. Perhaps he's more loving when they're in private. You know, some men can be awfully shy around their sweetheart's family. I suppose. It's just, Jim was the first man who showed an interest in Nell. I'm worried that she's settling. I know she could do better than him. Well, you're certainly right there. Oh, 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 but don't tell your sister I said that. No, we'll just have to see. Nell can make her own decisions. That's true. I just hope she makes the right decision sooner rather than later. In the beginning of their relationship, Nell and Jim seemed happy enough. Jim wasn't particularly romantic, but she hadn't seemed to mind. The pair would walk through town together and sit on the porch of the Cropsey estate. But slowly, something changed. By fall of 1901, Nell's fondness for her boyfriend had begun to turn frosty. Perhaps she finally saw what her older sister had seen all along. She could do far better than Jim Wilcox. But if Nell had changed her tune, it seems that Jim didn't seem to notice. He continued to spend time with her, visiting the Cropsey family at their house. In early November, however, the couple began speaking less frequently. It even seemed that Jim was turning his romantic attention to Carrie, Nell's cousin from New York. On November 19th, Carrie announced to Nell and Olive that she was going on a skating date with Jim Wilcox that very evening. But Nell was unfazed. If anything, this was a godsend. Jim was now Carrie's problem. But Nell was curious to know how the date went. She even started to wonder if maybe she had been too harsh on poor Jim Wilcox. Maybe he and Carrie would have a lovely time. 
So when Carrie returned from the date, she, Nell, and Olive convened in the parlor to discuss the events of that evening. You know, Nell, that man is a bore. Isn't he? Can't you see why I'm through with him? I simply can't do it anymore. I'd have better conversations with my own reflection. (laughs) You know, I have to agree. Oh, honestly, Nell, I'm amazed you stayed with him as long as you did. I mean, what was it, a year? Two? I've lost track, to tell you the truth. But one thing's for sure, I'm not wasting any more time. Jim Wilcox is simply not the man for me. The women laughed and the conversation slowly shifted to other topics. But little did they know that all the while, someone had been listening. Jim Wilcox had lingered after dropping off Carrie at the Cropsey house. And he had heard the whole thing. Before that night, Jim may have realized that his relationship with Nell Cropsey was on the rocks. After all, Nell wasn't subtle in her coldness. But after this moment, Jim finally saw the writing on the wall. The romance was over. The following day, November 20th, 1901, Jim returned to the Cropsey house around 8 p.m. To the family, this was nothing new. Jim often came to their house to spend his evening sitting by the fire. He usually didn't offer much conversation, but he was pleasant enough to be around. But this time, Jim's demeanor had changed. He took a seat in the parlor, stewing, while Nell, Olive, and Olive's beau, Roy, chatted and listened to music. Olive and Roy eyed each other nervously from across the room, and even tried to rope Jim into light conversation. But Jim was even less conversational than usual. Nell and her sister sat in polite silence as he sulked. Nell didn't know that he had heard her conversation from the previous night, but she could tell that something was wrong. She made no move to speak to Jim. Nell must have figured it would work itself out in time. The group whiled away the night, playing musical instruments and listening to the sound of the crackling fire. Jim continued to brood, though his behavior slowly became more agitated. He kept checking his watch and mentioned to the family that he had to get home soon. At 11 o'clock, Jim suddenly stood up out of his chair. Excuse me, I think it's time for me to leave. Now, would you mind stepping into the hallway to speak to me for a moment? Oh, um, sure, Jim. You sure, Nellie? Of course, I won't be long. Nell stood up, smoothed down her skirt, and walked out of the parlor into the hall. Olive and Roy continued their evening, enjoying the dying embers of the fire. At some point, they heard muffled voices, and then the sound of the front door opening and closing. Nell and Jim were speaking on the porch. As far as Olive Cropsey saw it, it was about time that those two had a conversation— Something was clearly wrong in the relationship, and it needed to be sorted out. And Olive was sure that everything would work out in the end. Perhaps this was finally the moment when Nell would break things off with Jim Wilcox. It certainly seemed like that was the logical conclusion. After about 30 minutes, Roy left and Olive decided to turn in for the night. She went upstairs and saw that Carrie was still up, so the two of them had a chat before bed. 
Then Olive went to her own bedroom, which she shared with Nell, expecting to see her sister already asleep. But Nell was nowhere to be seen. Olive didn't think much of that. She figured that Nell was still having it out with Jim, and who knows how long that might take. It was nearing midnight, and the house was silent. The fire had long since gone out, and all the lamps were extinguished. The family slept peacefully, all except one. In the inky blackness of the night, someone was still awake, moving through the dark. Little did the Cropsies know that their nightmare was just beginning. Coming up, the family wakes to a terrifying discovery. Since the beginning of time, people have wanted to believe in an afterlife. Hi listeners, I'm Shelby Scott. In Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast, I take a closer look at the mortal lives of spiritualists who claim to communicate with the dead and the scientists who tried to debunk them. This eight-episode series looks at paranormal events proven to be hoaxes and those which have mystified even the world's greatest skeptics. Mixing history, mystery, and social psychology, Mediums asks how these self-proclaimed psychics pulled off the illusion of interacting with the dead, even under a microscope of criticism. Were they all simply peddling parlor tricks, or was there something truly paranormal going on? Break out your Ouija board, dust off your crystal ball, or light some candles, because Parcast is ready to reveal what's really known about the unknown. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Mediums. Summon new episodes every Wednesday, free and only on Spotify. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, back to the story. When Olive Cropsey went to bed on the night of November 20th, 1901, Nell hadn't come inside. She brushed this off. Nell and Jim Wilcox had to hash things out, and such difficult conversations could take quite a while. She would come inside soon enough. At midnight, Olive woke with a start as the clock chimed the hour. In a day, she looked over to Nell's bed. It was still empty. Something wasn't right. Surely Nell would have come to bed by now. Olive rushed to her parents. Mother? Father? What is it, Olive? What's the matter? Nell's not in bed. I can't find her. I don't think she ever came back inside. I don't... Nell isn't back? God, what time is... Midnight! No, this isn't right. Come, we'll search the house for her. Maybe she dozed off downstairs after her chat. I'm I'm sure we'll find her. The pair wandered through the darkened house. 
As they rounded to the front door, they noticed that it had been left open. Olive and her father gingerly stepped out into the chill November night and walked the length of their wraparound porch. They called Nell's name out into the pitch black night. Nothing. No trace of her, or even Jim Wilcox. It was as if they had simply vanished. In 1901, it was profoundly unusual for a young woman to go off in the middle of the night without alerting her family. This spelled trouble, and Mr. Cropsey was not one to waste time. Despite the lateness of the hour, he knew that he had to tell the police chief what was going on. He rushed over to Police Chief Dawson to ask for his help. Chief Dawson roused himself, and after hearing Mr. Cropsey's story, he agreed to join him in the late-night hunt for Nell. One of Nell's uncles brought his hunting dogs to help them. Through the dark, the three men followed the dogs bellowing, hoping that the animals could lead them to Nell. But as the night wore on, the trio were no closer to an answer than they had been at the start. Exhausted and growing more nervous by the minute, they decided to go to the Wilcox home and see if they could speak to Jim himself. Jim was still asleep when the lawmen arrived. Without skipping a beat, Mr. Cropsey demanded that Mrs. Wilcox wake her son so he could answer for this serious situation. Mrs. Wilcox nervously agreed, and she led the men into her son's room. Jim, you have to wake up. There are some men here to see you about Nell. Uh, Nell? What on earth are you talking about? Wake up, son. We don't have time for this. Nell Cropsey never came home last night. What? What are you- And we know you were the last person who spoke to her. Now, I understand that you and she were having a conversation on the front porch of the Cropsey estate. Tell me exactly what happened. Uh, well, we broke it off. Things weren't good between us. You know, she wasn't exactly kind to me these last few weeks. Fine, fine, fine. But what did you say to each other? I had a picture of hers and her parasol. I wanted to return those things to her since things were ending. Did you and Nell go anywhere after this conversation? How did this chat end exactly? Oh, we spoke for maybe ten minutes. She started crying, but I said that was that. I left her there on the front porch. She was standing there, still crying. That was the last I saw of her. Chief Dawson and Mr. Cropsey shared a look. Neither of them were particularly convinced by this story, and they had a feeling that he wasn't telling the whole truth. But for the moment, they decided to leave the confused Jim Wilcox in bed, determined to continue their hunt. Around 3 a.m., they returned to the Wilcox house. They strode inside, quickly finding Jim's room. They woke him up again. Um, gentlemen, hello? Why are you back here so soon? Jim, you're not telling us the truth. You know what happened to Nell Cropsey last night. Now I'm going to give you a chance to tell me what you know. But if you lie to me, we're taking you to jail. I already told you what I know. I've been very clear. You can't just arrest me because you don't like what I said. I understand you're worried about Nell, but Jim, I... we're not interested in playing games with you. If you won't tell us anything useful, 
then there's nothing more to say. I'm going to have to put the cuffs on you. And in a swift motion, Chief Dawson grabbed Jim by the wrists and restrained him. The officer led the confused young man outside and into the buggy that would take him to jail. It's unclear what the police charged Jim Wilcox with at this time, but at the turn of the century, arrests weren't quite as formally executed as they may be today. Jim was a suspect, and therefore, he could be dangerous. That was likely enough reason for policemen to throw him in jail. As Jim Wilcox sat in his cell, the search continued for any sign of Nell Cropsey. Chief Dawson was slowly joined by more members of the police, including Deputy Sheriff Charles Reed. Eventually, locals began hearing about the missing girl and gathered together their own search parties. Within a matter of days, it felt like the entirety of Elizabeth City had banded together in the search. Like the police, the citizens of this small town immediately looked at Jim Wilcox as a suspicious figure. Just as quickly as the news of Nell's disappearance had swept through the community, so too had another important detail. Jim Wilcox had been the last person to see Nell. Jim didn't have many admirers in Elizabeth City. He was too quiet and too serious, practically to the point of seeming indifferent. And now he was tied to the disappearance of a well-liked young woman. Didn't take long for the gossip channels to start flowing. What did I tell you, ladies? I always knew that Jim Wilcox was no good. What he's done to that poor family. I heard that the mother hasn't stopped crying since the night Nell disappeared. You know, I bet he killed her and threw her body into the river. Maybe he even weighed her body down so that nobody would see her floating there. How could you say such a thing? Nell Cropsey could still be alive for all we know. Maybe she simply left town. Well, that is very optimistic of you, but I have to politely disagree. A girl like that doesn't just up and leave her family in the dead of night. No, I just know that Jim Wilcox did something terrible to that girl. And he'll pay for it. Mark my words. By November 24th, only four days after Nell's disappearance, the growing number of search teams had found no trace of the young woman. A group of divers dragged the Pasquatank River over and over again, but found nothing. There was nothing else that suggested a link between Jim Wilcox and Nell's disappearance, but it hardly mattered. Jim Wilcox, secluded in his jail cell, was already seen as a murderer by practically everyone in Elizabeth City. Even Mr. Cropsey had started to grow suspicious of Jim Wilcox. He and his wife had never particularly liked Jim, but they tolerated him because Nell had taken a shine to him. But now, everything was different. That same day, November 24th, Mr. Cropsey thought of an idea. In a desperate attempt to guilt Jim into giving information, he and Sheriff Reed dragged Jim to the Cropsey house. They figured that if Jim was confronted with the grief-stricken face of Mrs. Cropsey, maybe his conscience would get the better of him. But they had underestimated the unshakable indifference of this strange young man. Um, hello, Mrs. Cropsey. Please, Jim, you have to know something. You could just tell us, just tell us what happened to our sweet Nellie. Sorry, why am I here? I've already told the police what happened. 
please, God, I beg of you, please just tell us where she is. Really, this feels like a waste of time. I'm sorry, but I have nothing else to add. Mrs. Cropsey collapsed in a fit of tears as Jim sat awkwardly in front of her. With a mix of frustration and disgust, Sheriff Reed grabbed Jim and led him out of the house. This attempt at a confession had been a total failure. However, Jim's behavior was certainly suspicious. Sheriff Reed couldn't believe how cold the young man had been toward a grieving woman. It was as if Jim didn't care at all. The two officers left this unsettling experience convinced that this young man was involved in Nell Cropsey's disappearance. But before they could move forward, there was a more important order of business. They had to find Nell's body. Coming up, the search drags on with a final shocking discovery. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story. Within two hours of Nell Cropsey's reported disappearance on November 20, 1901, the town of Elizabeth City began the search for her. Police mingled with local volunteers, and together they scoured the surrounding woods and over 100 houses in the area. As colder temperatures turned the North Carolina landscape frosty and brittle, the search didn't show any sign of stopping. By December, the story of the vanished girl had piqued the interest of North Carolina newspapers. They flocked to Elizabeth City, looking for any information that was fit to print. But unfortunately, none of it was particularly optimistic. Sheriff Reed, you've been on the search for Nellie Cropsey for a while now. And as far as I can tell, you don't have anything to show for it. Tell us, do you really think that girl is alive? Frankly, no, I do not. It's been too long, the weather's getting too dangerous. If she was alive after she vanished, well, let's just say I don't believe that to be the case anymore. She's long dead. In that case, do you believe we got a murder on our hands? Oh, I'm not at liberty to make such conclusions right now. But what about Jim Wilcox, Sheriff? Haven't you been keeping him in a jail cell this whole time? Well, yes, and we do believe that he may be able to give us valuable information. 
but the decision to arrest him has proved to be more of a safety precaution for young Mr. Wilcox. Sorry? As you might imagine, he hasn't been very popular with the folks around here with everything going on. Take a walk down to the jailhouse and you'll see what I mean. From the moment that Jim Wilcox was arrested, a group of angry townspeople had congregated around the entrance to the Elizabeth City Jail. Dozens of people gathered there day after day, shouting obscenities in the hopes that Jim would hear them. Even without any tangible evidence to prove Jim's guilt, many people in the town were convinced that he was the man responsible for Nell Cropsey's disappearance. But their rage apparently had little effect on the young man. Inside the jail, Jim Wilcox behaved as if his current situation was nothing more than a minor inconvenience. And even the guards were surprised by their prisoner's casual behavior. I mean, doesn't it bother you to hear those people outside? They look like they're ready to lynch you on the spot. I don't care what they have to say. I've already told the police everything I know. Boy, are you stupid or something? (laughs) I mean, those people out there think you're a killer. Don't you want to, I don't know, prove them wrong? Time will surely do that for me. No, I'm not going to waste my hours now worrying about that. I mean, after all, Nell was my girlfriend. Nobody seems to be worried about how I feel now that she's disappeared. I imagine you're pretty cut up about it, right? Yes, yes, of course. But no use dwelling too long on that, I suppose. Come, lend me a cigarette. Jim Wilcox's surprisingly relaxed behavior wasn't exactly a jailhouse secret. Reporters spoke to the guards, who described the inmate as a shockingly blasé person who didn't seem to take his circumstances seriously. This only fanned the flames of fury against Jim, and more people gathered around the jail day after day. The police sent more guards to protect the building, hoping to avoid a lynching. The air throughout Elizabeth City was tinged with bitterness and resentment. But at the Cropsey House, the tone was different. That home, once a jewel by the river, had become a space of quiet misery. As December wore on, whatever hope that the Cropsey family held on to was quickly slipping away. Mrs. Cropsey spent her time staring out at the back window at the slow-moving Pasqua tank, wondering if her child could be submerged beneath its glassy surface. Reporters and neighbors alike visited the house. Some came to comfort the grieving family, and others came with their own theories about Nell's whereabouts. Throughout the month, the Cropsies had been berated by a series of false tips and dead ends. One of the most persistent theories was perpetuated by a man named Edward Kelly. On December 8th, he had breathlessly told the Raleigh News and Observer that Nell Cropsey was alive. He claimed to have seen her board a train to Norfolk, even going so far as to describe the clothes that she was wearing. He claimed she traveled under a different name and was on her way to Baltimore. Edward Kelly was so certain about this sighting that he decided to visit the Cropsies. Perhaps he thought this would give the family the hope that they were quickly losing. But whatever his intentions were, the visit didn't go as planned. 
Mr. Cropsy, I'm just so glad I could come and see you and your beautiful family. Truly, I'm so sorry that this past month has been so hard for you, but I have news that will change your life. Really, I do. I- you What? You saw my daughter boarding a train? How could you possibly know that? Well, her face has been all over the papers, even up in Virginia. I tell you, she was the exact likeness. Let me remember, she had a, um, a red waistcoat with brass buttons, a, a, a light jacket, new shoes. You're telling me that our daughter fled our home in the middle of the night without a word, no luggage, no anything, and somehow she bought new shoes and a train ticket. I just... She just looked so much... You have done grievous harm to this family, young man. We are trying to mourn the loss of our child. I do not expect to see her again on this side of eternity. And I have to make peace with that. Now please, get out of my house and take your cockamamie story with you. But... Get out! Mr. Cropsey practically threw Edward Kelly out of the house. And soon after the grieving father decided to make a public statement of his own. After a month with no news, he was finally convinced of one thing. Jim Wilcox was responsible for Nell's disappearance. But Mr. Cropsey went further than that. In a public letter on December 12th, he declared that Jim Wilcox had personally murdered Nell Cropsey. He wrote... I shall always believe Jim Wilcox instrumental in my daughter's disappearance, and I believe we shall learn how and when he murdered Nell. This letter was like throwing a stick of dynamite into the tense community of Elizabeth City. Chief Dawson watched nervously as the massive crowd of angry residents screamed in front of the jailhouse. The mob demanded justice for Nell and for retribution against Jim Wilcox. Tensions were reaching a fever pitch in the small riverside town, but the chief knew that the only way to move the case forward was to finally locate Nell, dead or alive. He sent out more men to retrace their steps, redrag the river, do anything they could to find a shred of evidence. For two tense weeks, the investigation looked like it was stagnant. But on December 27th, Everything changed. It was a little after 10 on that cold Friday morning. A local fisherman had just begun his day's cast, allowing his small boat to float aimlessly down the Pasquatank River. Soon the boat neared the Cropsey House. The fisherman could practically see it through the trees, but as he was enjoying the quiet ambiance of the morning... His eye caught on something large and pale floating near the shore. He angled his boat toward it to get a closer look. Suddenly, he reeled back, sending his boat rocking back and forth. It was a young woman, her body only partially submerged in the brackish water. She almost looked like she was alive, but the fisherman knew better. He saw her partially opened eyes, her slack mouth... Her dark hair stuck in wet tendrils against her cheek. He was close enough now to get a good look at her face. The fisherman leaned over the side of the boat. The woman's face stared past him, her unblinking eyes fixed on some phantom horror. With nauseating recognition, the fisherman confirmed what he already knew. 
This was the body of Nell Cropsey. Thanks again for tuning in to Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with part two of the murder of Nell Cropsey. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solve Murders True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Solve Murders is written by Georgia Hampton, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseff. Fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Jerry Courtney Osteen, Brian Green, Harris Markson, Cameron Nicod, Laura Faye Smith, and Kimlin Tran. Solve Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Hi, I'm Shelby Scott, host of Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast. You can join me Wednesdays as I dive into the world of spiritualism and the women that defined it. We'll explore everything from obvious con artists to 150-year-old mysteries. It'll be a fascinating journey, so be sure to follow my new podcast, Mediums, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.